0: Take your Bible and go this morning to the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 23, Jeremiah 23, and going through the book of Jeremiah in my daily reading, so we'll look at something this morning. Jeremiah chapter 23, look in verse 5. The Bible said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch. And a king shall reign and prosper and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days, Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is the name whereby he shall be called the Lord, our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that they shall no more say, The Lord liveth, which brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But the Lord liveth, which brought up and which led the seed of the house of Israel, out of the north country, and from all countries whither I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for your goodness to us, and Lord, we thank you for this passage of Scripture, Lord. I thank you, God, for what it means, God, Lord, to Israel, but also for what it means for us. And Lord, I pray that you'd help us, God, Lord, to get that across this morning. I pray that you'd give me clarity of thought, and God, help me, Lord, to present my ideas, God, Lord, these things, God, that you've put on my heart. Help me to present it clearly, Lord, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning, I want to try and preach to you for just a little while on the thought of the Lord, our righteousness. The Lord, our righteousness. This is, a, uh, this is probably, doctrinally speaking, one of the most comforting passages of Scripture. Uh, in a literal, doctrinal sense, this passage of Scripture is making reference to what's going to happen one day when the Lord physically, literally comes back from heaven, sets up a kingdom and gathers the children of Israel together and plants them in their own country, in their own geographical location over there, right there in the center of the Middle East. And so this this has specific, literal meaning. It's not I, I'm I'm going to apply it this morning spiritually to us to the church. But I want you to understand before we do that, I want you to understand that this has literal fulfillment that is one day really going to come to pass. And God is, God is, the Bible said that in his days, verse 6, when this king is raised up here in verse 5, he said, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch. See how that branch is capitalized? And a king. King is capitalized. I hope there's no mistaking in your mind who he's talking about. One day, Jesus Christ himself is going to come back. He's going to reign. He's going to sit on a real throne in Jerusalem. And the Bible says he's going to reign and prosper. And he's going to execute judgment and justice in all the earth. You can talk about the Supreme Court all you want. You can talk about the United Nations all you want. One day the Lord's going to come back. He is going to be all three branches. He's going to make the laws. He's already made them. He's going to execute the laws. And when there comes up an issue, as the Old Testament says, that's too hard for thee to discern what needs to be done, like he told Moses, God's going to sit as the, as the judge and he's going to determine what needs to be done. And so he's going to be all three branches. That's really going to take place. And the Bible says in verse 6, In his days, Judah shall be saved. Judah will be saved. He says, Israel shall dwell safely. Now, for purposes of the message this morning, I hope you understand that Israel and Judah, uh, because of the apostasy and the idolatry of Solomon, those two kingdoms, the nation of Israel was split into two kingdoms two kingdoms, the ten northern tribes were called Israel, the two southern tribes, praise the Lord, were called Judah, and you know, by the way, Saul, uh, Paul was from one of those southern tribes. I don't know if you understand that or not. That's why he says in the Bible, I reckon, that's southern talk, but nonetheless, nonetheless he says, in his days Judah shall be saved and Israel shall dwell safely, and this is his name whereby he shall be called, he'll be called the Lord our righteousness. Listen, when you st- step over there into Jerusalem, when, if you're here on this earth during the time of the millennium, you'll be able to look over into Jerusalem one day with Jesus Christ himself sitting on the throne and you'll be able to look at him and say, there's Israel's righteousness. The Lord, our righteousness. There he is. There's Israel's righteousness. A stiff-necked, hard-hearted, stubborn group of people And that's not my estimation of those people. That's God's estimation of them. God got them out there in the wilderness when he was trying to bring them into the land of Canaan and he told Moses, he said, how long am I going to have to deal with these people and prove to them that I'm going to take care of them, prove to them that I'm really going to do what I said I'm going to do that just unrighteous people. He'll be sitting right there on the throne. The Lord, our righteousness. Now look at what he says in the next two verses. He said, therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, That they shall no more say, the Lord liveth, which brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. Did he bring them up out of the land of Egypt? Absolutely he did. But he said, that's not how I'm going to be known. He said, I'm going to be known by verse 8. But the Lord liveth, which brought up and which led the seed of the house of Israel out of the north country, and from all countries whither I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land." When you talk to an Orthodox Jew right now, whether they're from Cuba or not, <clears throat> I say that because that's the only Orthodox Jew I've ever dealt with. He's from Cuba, which is kind of an amazing thing. But when you talk, about, when you talk to an Orthodox Jew about who they are as a, as a nation, their national identity, one of the hallmarks of their national identity is what took place during the Passover, which just frequently, just recently went by. This is what took place. God brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand, the Bible says. And he brought us out. He delivered us by taking that blood of the Passover lamb, striking it on the lintels and on the doorposts. And God, God delivered us out of Egypt. And that's how they know God. God is known as the God that brought us up out of Egypt. But in that day, when the millennium takes place, when Jesus Christ is sitting on a throne in Jerusalem, they're not going to say, there's the God that brought us up out of Egypt. They're going to say, there's the God that gathered us from all these other nations where He drove us to in His anger because we disobeyed Him, because we offended Him, because we made Him angry. And He lost, he, I was going to say He lost His patience, but He judged us rightfully so. He judged us rightfully so. He's gathered us all together. That's how that God's going to be known. And so, what I want to do this morning is I want to apply that to you as a Christian this morning. The Bible says that He's going to be known as the Lord our righteousness. Now, listen to me very closely. I want to try to explain this the best way I can. There is an element of your salvation to where the Lord is your righteousness. We call that justification. We call that justification. You can also say that the Lord is your righteousness in the sense of sanctification. In the moment that you got saved, the Lord Jesus Christ, you were, you were sanctified by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then we also understand, we also understand that there is what we call personal sanctification. And that is something that you have to incorporate into your own life day by day. Alright, we understand all of that. We've preached on that quite a bit here at this church let me present that personal sanctification in just personal sanctification to you in just a little bit different of a way. You know where your sanctification comes from? It comes from obedience. It comes from obedience. It doesn't come from you arbitrarily making up your mind what you're going to do in order to be righteous. You know how you become sanctified in your personal day-to-day walk as a Christian? You have somebody on the inside that's telling you, do this, do that. He t- What he uses is this. He takes the scripture, you take that scripture, and you read that book, and God takes that book. The Bible says in Psalm, I believe it's Psalm 119, Thy word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against thee. So you take that word, and you pour it into your heart, and then you get in a particular situation, and the Holy Spirit reaches in there and grabs that word, and he brings it up, he stirs it up in your mind, he brings it to your remembrance, and you... Either obey or you disobey, well, what happens when you obey is what that produces is it produces righteousness it produces a sense of righteousness. you understand me so far? well, listen, he says, behold the days come, saith the Lord that I'll raise unto David a righteous branch that's Jesus Christ. I preached to you i I forget when it was a last service or maybe the service before whenever it was, today's Sunday, so it had been Wednesday, maybe last Sunday night, I preached to you about the fact that what you have in the person of the Holy Spirit, in the person of the Holy Ghost, is really a connection to Jesus Christ as much as you're ever going to be connected. I mean, the only more connected to Jesus Christ that you can become as a Christian is being physically, literally in His presence, which one day will happen. But right now, you've got, as it stands... Really, you have Jesus Christ living in you, in the person of the Holy Ghost. He's in there. You say, I don't feel like he's in there. He's still in there. You're saved. You've been born again. What happened when you trusted Christ as your Savior? The Holy Spirit of God moved in and took up abode in your heart. And what he brought with him was the nature, the person, and the work of Jesus Christ with him. The Bible talks about in 2 Peter chapter 1 how that you're made partakers of the divine nature. That same nature, listen, that same nature that was in Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago is now living in you in the person of the Holy Ghost. You know what your only responsibility is right now? It's to submit to it. It's to just simply submit to it. Now, look at what he says here in Jeremiah 23, verse 5. He says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I'll raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper. Now, you've heard it said, and it's it's not an incorrect statement. It's not really a bad statement to try and get people's minds wrapped around. But you've heard it said, I hope you've heard it said, that in your heart there's a throne. And on that throne in your heart, there's... One of two options is taking place. One of two people sitting on that throne. It's either Jesus Christ or it's you. And who's sitting on that throne determines who you're obeying. You know what that is? You know who sits on a throne? A king. Well, he says, There's coming a day, talking about the future, but spiritualized, devotionally speaking, spiritually speaking, speaking to you right now, here's a throne. Well, who's sitting on the throne? Is it Jesus Christ? Well, look, if it's Jesus Christ, he says, unto David, a righteous branch and a king shall reign. So my question to you this morning, is Jesus Christ sitting on the throne of your heart? And if he is, are you letting him reign? You know, who, you know who's sitting in there on that throne? You know who's in, who's taking up a in your heart? is the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Ghost. And what he's brought with him is he's brought the nature and the person and work of Jesus Christ. And what he's doing is he's striving with your flesh for a seat on that throne in your heart. He's he's striving for his rightful place. Who deserves to sit on the throne of your heart other than Jesus Christ himself? Who deserves to sit on the throne of your heart other than the Holy Ghost? Have you given him place? The Bible talks about, I believe it's in 2 Timothy, Paul told Timothy, he said, neither give place to the devil. That's an interesting statement. I suppose the same thing is possible for you to give place to the Lord. Are you giving Him place? The grand possibility is that you can't give Jesus Christ place because your heart is so filled with so many other things, so many other affections, so many other desires like we talked about this morning in Sunday school. There's so much other stuff that is convoluted and filled up your heart that you have no space to allow Jesus Christ to sit on the throne where he rightfully deserves to be. But he said, there's coming a day, there's coming a day where that righteous branch, that king, he's going to sit and reign." Let me ask you something. I know you saved. I don't see anybody in here, with maybe the exception of some of you young ones, but you adults that are sitting in here this morning, I know you saved. I'm not preaching to you about salvation per se. What I'm asking you is, as a Christian, has the day come when you've let Jesus Christ come into your heart and sit down and be the king? He's in there. He's in there. Listen, He's in there. He's living on the inside. The Bible talks about in the book of Colossians how that uh, he talks about the indwelling Christ. He says, Christ in you, the hope of glory. I'm not saying that Jesus Christ is not in there. What I'm talking about is, have you given him control? Have you yielded your will? Have you said, God, whatever you want, whatever you want out of my life, I'm interested. Who's sitting on the throne? Well, has the day come to where the king has sat on the throne of your heart and you're letting him reign? You know what? He says that king in the future, in the millennium, he's going to come, he's going to reign and prosper. How can he do anything other than that? Listen, if you, listen, if we would take all the governments of this world and give it 100% to Jesus Christ, how could it not prosper? Well, I'm telling you one day, the day is going to come to where we're not going to have to give it to him, he's going to come and take them. And you know what the product of that's going to be? It's going to be peace like you've never seen in your life. All of the peace that all of the nations are working so hard right now to achieve by warfare, Jesus Christ is going to come back and fight a battle, and he's going to achieve peace like these people have been beating their brains out trying to to find. Listen, Jesus Christ is going to come create peace among the animal kingdom. The Bible says the lion's going to lay down with the lamb. The lion's going to eat straw. He's going to eat grass like an ox. The Bible says that the kid's going to be able to come over and play on the hole of the adder, the serpent. No more worries about the kids running out here and getting on a palmetto bush and landing on a rattlesnake. You say, why? Because Jesus Christ is finally in charge. He's ruling over everything. Let me ask you something. What happens if he got in charge of your life? What do you think? What kind of peace could He produce in your life if you just let Jesus be in charge? You think all of those animals that are going on in your heart, all that that brute that mentality of a brute brute beast going on in your heart and life? You think the Lord Jesus could just steal that stuff right down? You act like an animal, do you? Just just go hog wild, just be crazy? What if you just gave Jesus control? What about that tongue that bites like an adder, stings like a serpent? If you just let Jesus get on the throne, you reckon he could get that stuff under control? That criticism and that backbiting, that bitter heart, you reckon the Lord could walk over there and touch the spring of that bitter heart and make those bitter waters sweet? You say, what's going on? The king is reigning, and he's going to prosper. You know what you're trying to do? You know what a lot of Christians, Brother Pedro, are trying to do? It's the same thing that we all do. We're so foolish for thinking this way. We're trying to prosper without letting the king be on the throne. And listen, all I'm telling you is that you're never going to get to a place of prosperity without the Lord our righteousness. It's right there. Paul talks about in the in 1 Corinthians, he talks about he says, hey, if you'll give heed to the doctrine you'll save yourself and them that hear thee. It's a salvation. Well, if you spiritualize what you look at in verse 6 the Bible says, in his days Judas shall be saved. Israel shall dwell safely. You know what, if you just let the king on the throne in your heart, there's salvation that'll come to you. You'll be able to Trust the Lord, you'll be able to let God work out all of the circumstances that you're struggling with, all the things that are bothering you. Man, why don't you just quit striving against Him? Why don't you just quit struggling with Him and just say, God, I'm tired of trying to manage my own affairs. Lord, how about you just take care of it? Listen, I, don't, I, I haven't read much about economics, but I've got a book back here by a guy named Milton Freeman, and it's called Free to Choose. And basically, the premise of that book is how that central planning, what they call central planning, does not work. It just doesn't work. And if you don't know what central planning is, go to Russia. What, what goes on in Russia is that the, the president and the government over there, they have to determine what goods are sold and how they're made and at what price they're sold. They establish all that stuff. And what Milton Friedman goes through is he talks about how that free market, what goes on in the United States of America, how it's so much better. And listen, the reason that central planning does not work well, the reason that central planning does not work well is for one reason. It's because men are in charge. You take Brother Spike, even if Brother Spike was a genius, and Brother Spike's pretty smart, I'll tell you. If you take... I don't know why I'm smiling. But if you take if you take brother Spike and put him in a position and say brother Spike was an economist, he knew how to make money just I mean just multiply. He got a business, he got to know something. So we're going to put him in we're going to let him decide how everything is run as far as economy goes in the United States. You know what's going to happen? It's going to fail. You know why it's going to fail? Because brother Spike doesn't know any he doesn't know everything. Makes sense? What happens, listen, what happens if you took a man who knew everything and put him on the throne and said, hey, run our economy? Talking about a man who knows, listen, who knows the thoughts that you're thinking in your bedchamber. You think your economy would flourish? Well, listen, why, why would it not be if you took that same God and said, God, here's my heart, run it, however you want it run, why do you think you wouldn't be successful? Why do you think you wouldn't have any prosperity? Why is it that you think that, man, I can't, I can't live that kind of life? Why not? Moses got up there and God said, hey, I need you to go back down into Egypt and get my people out. Moses said, I can't. God said, why can't you? He said, I've got a stammering tongue. I've got a stuttering tongue. God said, who made your mouth? Don't you think the Lord knows you better than you do? Okay, then why not just take the control of your life and say, God, I am, I am just nuts. I'm stupid. I'm stupid. I didn't say you're stupid. I said, why don't you say that to the Lord? God, I'm stupid. You know what? You know what's probably going on in a lot of Christians' mind? You really don't think that you're that stupid. You really think you're pretty smart. As a matter of fact, you think you're so smart that you don't need a God to tell you what to do. And so therefore, what's happened is you've become your own God. You're sitting on the throne. It's like that fellow who was falling off of a high-rise building one day. He he slipped and lost his foot and was falling off. And while he's going down, he said, Oh God, help me! And about that time, a nail caught him on the back of the pants. And he said, Thank you, Lord, but I got it. That's about how Christians are. You, you got your own stuff figured out and you don't need no help from the Lord. How do you think you're going to be prosperous by that way? You're not going to be. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. And this is the name whereby he shall be called the Lord our righteousness. Now listen, the next two verses, he says, Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that they shall no more say, The Lord liveth which brought up the children out of the land of Egypt. Coming out of Egypt, Israel coming out of Egypt is a type of a Christian, it's a type of a man being saved. Crossing the Red Sea, that's a picture of your salvation. That's a picture of a man being delivered from the bondage of this world, from the bondage of the devil. Pharaoh's a type of the devil. He's a type of the Antichrist. So when Israel comes out of Egypt, that's a picture of a man coming from being lost to a place of being saved. Well, there he is. And listen, that's about how some people, that's how some Christians, that's the only way they know anything about the Lord. Hey, do you know who the Lord is? Yeah, the Lord saved my soul. Yeah, the Lord delivered me from Egypt. Yeah, the Lord delivered me when he saved my soul on such and such a date. And that's wonderful. That's something to be thankful for. That's something to be bragging about. But has there come a day where you say, Yeah, not only is he the God that brought me up out of Egypt, but he's the same God that gathered me together when I I was dispersed among the nations. Hey, not only has God delivered me back there from Egypt, but there's been situations in my life. There's been things, there's been sins that I've been struggling with ever since I got saved that God's delivered me from. Do you know Him that way? Hey, there's weakness of mind that I've been struggling with ever since I've got saved. God delivered me from there. God brought me brought me back from all of those nations, from all those places where my soul was dispersed to God gathered me up and brought me back you say who is that who's the God that did that the Lord our righteousness it's the Lord our righteousness you know what he needs he just needs your consent to sit down on the throne in his rightful place and say God however you want it run that's all he needs you say well why doesn't, why doesn't the Lord do why doesn't he just come in and take it because God treasures a, a free will God values a free will. Listen, if God forced you to worship him, if God twisted your arm behind your back and made you bow down and worship him, what kind of glory would that be? That'd be a display. Listen, that would certainly be a display of his power. That would certainly be a display of his might. But what, hap- what would happen if God came to you and said, am I not a good God? Am I not a gracious God? How about you worship me just because you love me? How much more infinitely glorious is that? Listen, you can walk around and look at all the princes and the kings of this world and they force people to get in line. But to find a man who is so good, who is so wonderful, who is so glorious that you want, you want to get in line with him. You want to be obedient to him because how can you not help but be prosperous? How can you not be successful if you just get in line with him? The Lord, our righteousness. You know what a lot of people are doing? A lot of people are doing good works. And listen, you should. You should. You should. You should do good works. But what they're doing at the end of the day is they're pointing back at themselves and saying, See how righteous I am? Ain't I a good guy? You know what you should be doing? You should be pointing back to the Lord and saying, The Lord, our righteousness. All of that righteousness that's being produced in you, if there is any righteousness that's being produced in you, you know where it's coming from? It's coming from the fact that you're consenting and you're yielding to the Holy Ghost that's working inside of you and you're saying, God, not my will but thine be done. Help yourself. Yes, Yes, sir, if that's what you want, yes, sir, I'll do it. You know what that is? That's the Lord, our righteousness. That's the Lord, our righteousness. Therefore, verse 7, behold the days come saith the Lord that they shall no more say the Lord liveth which brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. But the Lord liveth which brought up and which led the seed of the house of Israel out of the north country and from all countries whither I had driven them. And they shall dwell in their own land. Listen, Israel has never been able to dwell in their own land outside of the reign of probably David. And Solomon, ever since Solomon apostatized and went in worshiping all these idols with all of these strange women that he brought into the house of the Lord and into his own house, ever since then there has been warfare, there's not been peace, there's not been tranquility, there's not been any kind of rest in the house of Israel or in the house of Judah. You know where it all started? It started with idolatry. It started with worshiping somebody else that was not God. Listen, whatever it is that you're worshiping, it doesn't matter. If it's not God, it's idolatry. And that's the thing that's going to disturb the peace. That's the thing that's going to keep you from dwelling in your own land. I believe with all of my heart, I believe with all of my heart that some people don't have the ability to be themselves simply because God is not in control in their life. You can't be yourself. You say, why? You're not dwelling in your own land because the king's not on the throne. Israel, listen, the place where Israel's going to be have the have the the place where they're going to have the ability to be themselves, to be a nation, to be the people that God said that they were is when Jesus Christ gets on the throne in Jerusalem. The place where you're going to have the ability to be a Christian. The person who God said that you are. The person that God said you're supposed to be. The place where you're going to be able to be that is when Jesus gets on the throne in your heart. You say, what is that? The Lord, our righteousness. It's just saying, God, whatever you want, whatever you want. In the Old Testament, God gave the law to Israel. I believe it's in the book of Deuteronomy, and he said, listen, he said, if you'll observe to do all that I've told you in the book of the law, He said, the nations that are around about you, he said, they'll look at you and say, that's their righteousness. And that's the way that a lot of Christians are living. They're living, they've got a a checklist. Oh, I have to go to church on Sunday? Check. I have to read my Bible today? Check. I have to pray today? Check. I have to do this? Check. And you go down your checklist. And so long as you... Meet all those checklists? Well, I'm a pretty good Christian. And you know what that is? That's a cold, stale, dry, dead life. You say, what's missing? The presence of the Holy Spirit. The presence of the Holy Ghost. You know what you should be doing? You should be doing all that stuff. I'm not saying that stuff is wrong. All I'm saying is it's just stale. I'm just saying it's cold. You know what you should be doing? You should put your ear to the ground and say, God, what is it? that I'm supposed to be doing. You should be doing those things out of fellowship. You should be doing those things out of subjection, yieldedness, humility before the Lord. I don't, I don't know how else to explain it than that. I don't feel like I've explained it adequately, but that's about the best that I can do this morning. Listen, the Lord, our righteousness, it's God. It's, it's the Holy Ghost in you. It's God. Living in you. Let me leave you with this verse. The Bible says in 1 Timothy, I believe it is, uh, chapter 2, might be chapter 3. But he says in 1 Timothy, Great is the mystery of godliness that God was manifest in the flesh. That's a reference to Jesus Christ, no doubt. But you reckon that that could be a reference to you as a Christian as well? It's godliness, it's a mystery of godliness. You ever looked at a godly person and said, man, that's wild. I don't know if you ever have. I have looked at godly people and said, boy, there's something about that person. There's something about that individual. You say, what is that? That's godliness. You know what godliness is? It's God manifest in the flesh. It's not, listen, it's not God manifest in the flesh the same way that he was manifest in Jesus Christ. not talking about that. Jesus Christ's flesh was different than yours. But, having said that, couldn't you let the king reign in your life? You know what would finally be seen in your life for once? Jesus Christ. It would be Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for your goodness to us this morning. I pray that these things were clear. God, I pray that you'd help us, God, Lord, to yield ourselves to you and trust you, Lord. We thank you, God, for your goodness to us Thank you, Lord. God, Lord, thank you for the promise of the Holy Ghost and the provision that he makes for being a Christian, Lord. And I pray that you'd help us this morning. And God, help these folks as we dismiss and go our ways. Pray that you'd help us to meditate on these things. God, pray that you'd bring us back at the appointed hour. The folks that are at home, God, I pray that you'd be with them. We'll thank you for it. Thank you, Lord, for dying for our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right.